Before we get started, you should probably know that the following podcast contains strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Also, it will almost certainly contain spoilers. Hello and welcome to Minisode 48 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. If you don't know by now, I'm Andy Stewart. I'm just a guy that does stuff. And I'm an absent Mitch Bain. Yes, yes, the couch is empty. You're the ghost in the wall. <laughs> Once again, I'm making my triumphant return to the walls. <laughs> I know I am once again coming to you from Peterhead. Uh, I'm home on family business. Once again, it's good family business. It's uh, my dad, Mick Bain's birthday this week, so I'm oh, home for that. Oh, happy birthday, Mick Bain. Uh, yeah, so I'm home just to um, to catch up, uh, give him some presents, go for family meals, that kind of thing. All very wholesome. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, yeah, how have you been? I've been okay, thanks. Yeah, I've been uh, plodding on, getting on with things. You? Okay. Uh, yeah, much the same, to be honest. Uh, while you've been getting on with things, been watching anything? Do you know, I've been quite busy this week. Actually, I say I've been busy, that's an absolute lie. But what I have been doing was I've been watching loads of old ninja movies. Okay. Um, which I'm not really going to dig too deep into on this show. But I did make the time to check out Assassination Nation. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, so I caught this as Celluloid Screams last yeah. year. Um, went down really well there. What did you think of it? I thought it was really good. Yeah, I really, I think really, it's really it. interesting. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was excellent, actually. Um, for anybody that doesn't know, it's about uh, a girl Lily and her friends at school. Uh, obviously, they're very social media focused. I would say. Mm-hmm. What happens is someone hacks essentially the town's communications and uh, kind of disseminates all the texts and messages and social media stuff that everyone's been sending around the town. So obviously, as you can imagine, that causes some rifts, uh, some friction at school. And uh, and it goes from there into some increasingly dark places. Yeah, I actually I was kind of surprised by precisely how dark this goes oh, and uh, <laughs> exactly how much the it kind of widens out. I think I think it's a really interesting film. I've been kind of feeling like I've been owing it a second watch ever since the first time I saw it. Well, your old dad here's got it. Oh, interesting development. Yeah, so you can watch it anytime. Well, anytime you're here, not anytime you like. <laughs> yeah, I'm not just gonna show up unannounced <laughs> and just be like calling in a favor. <laughs> Um, no, I think it's I think it's really good. I'm glad you liked it. I think that yeah, I think that social media in horror and kind of thriller films right now is still something that gets mishandled very badly very often. Yeah. Um. So it is very refreshing to see precisely how well this film handles all all those elements. Yeah, yeah. And I think it I think it does handle it really well. And I think it's uh, quite timely given all the kind of issues surrounding social media privacy and stuff at at this particular time. Yeah, I actually think that in amongst being really entertaining and, like you say, really dark, I think it also does kind of manage to pull itself into some reasonably good commentary on all those things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, it's a really interesting film. I'm glad you've you've seen it. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad I've seen it, and I'm glad I own it. Uh, Pretty good cast as well, by the way. you got, uh, like, Suki Waterhouse is in there, and Bill Skarsgård, and Joel McHale, Mm -hmm. Bella Thorne. Um, Yeah. I was really impressed by it, actually. I thought it was good. Mm -hmm. Uh, Normally, as you know, I don't really go in for films like that, because I'm not a massive lover of social media in general these days. (laughs) 
films like this and films like uh, kind of unfriended and like uh, friend request and all that they kind of rub me up the wrong way even detention uh-huh. which rubbed me up the wrong way for different reasons but it has that <laughs> it yeah. has that kind of same element involved in it uh-huh. which doesn't help i mean i gotta say when you said you were going to be watching this this week i was like mm, i wonder how that'll go no I, I really i really liked it it's one of the first films that, that kind of plays so closely and kind of uses social media as its kind of focus and tool that i've actually really enjoyed yeah, I, I think it's one of the better ones so far, for sure. Although I watched uh, Unfriended Dark Web the other week, and I thought it was... <laughs> and I really liked it. <laughs> you, I kept that quiet. I really like Unfriended totally, Dark Web. Until, until just there, I just I totally forgot about it, actually, until right here. Well, um, we can talk about it briefly if you want, because I actually think that Unfriended Dark Web's great. Well, we have talked about Unfriended Dark Web before, so I don't want to dig too deeply into it. Um, but I did, uh, I course, did enjoy yeah. it, yeah. <laughs> I did enjoy yeah, it. I it, thought it was... Uh, far i actually thought it was far better than the first one and much much nastier i was gonna say it's a surprisingly nasty film i think yeah no, i enjoyed it quite a lot <laughs> yeah but that's really all i've watched uh, this week apart from loads and loads of ninjas okay cool yeah what about you i have um a couple one of which um cinema release getting out there oh, doing it can i guess yeah i'm gonna say it was pet cemetery correct i saw kevin kolsch and dennis widmeyer's pet cemetery remake no i haven't seen it yet um, so general consensus from kind of fans that I've come across so far on this seems to be pretty negative. Oh, really? And yeah, like like this certainly. I mean, I can't speak for kind of wider opinion, but like the people that I'm seeing talking about it on social media and stuff like that are being kind of down on it. And a lot of the kind of negative things people have to say about this film are in direct comparison to both the original and the book. Right. Okay. And kind of saying that it's like, oh, it would be fine on its own, but it's kind of impossible to view it in a vacuum because the original is so iconic and stuff. It's not impossible for me to view it in a vacuum because (laughs) I haven't seen the original and I haven't read the book. Right. So I enjoyed it. I liked it quite a bit. I think that with kind of studio horror and films of this scale, I generally find that I'm more engaged in the first half of it and it loses me as it goes. Okay. Whereas with this, I found it like a little bit of a slow burner and a little bit difficult to get into, but kind of once I kind of locked onto the tone of it, I kind of rolled on, and I found the last half hour kind of really quite gripping. Okay. Also, obviously, um, you've got Jason Clark and Amy Simonitz as the parents here. Yeah, and Mr. John Lithgow in there, who, as you know, is a personal favourite of mine. And he's really good in this. You should see it just for that, actually. Um, he's he's really great in it. Jason Clark, it's, I always think it's really weird when Jason Clark plays like a regular person, like a dad or something <laughs> like that, like he does here, because he has the face of a villain. See, for example, Terminator Jedi Size. Uh, Terminator Genesis, yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah, just in general, he's kind of like he's got kind of like a villainy look about him. Uh, so it's kind of a little bit jarring to see him playing just like a family man. Yeah, you're, I find you're, you're kind of Joe Homebody. Exactly, and uh, but he's he's doing pretty good work here, and so is Amy Simons, who's routinely really pretty good in things as well. I think Amy Simons is great. Yeah, really good. And um, also Ellie, the daughter here, um, Jette Lawrence, really really good as well. Performances in general, pretty good across the board. I think also obviously. Kevin Kulsh and Dennis Widmeyer are best known for uh, Starry Eyes. Yeah, which we talked about, I think, last week or the week before on the minisode. Yeah, my my love for Starry Eyes is very well documented. Um, and one thing that I gen- that I like about their filmmaking up to this point, and I suppose by that I mean what I liked in Starry Eyes, because I've forgotten which section they did in Holidays, but I hate pretty much all of Holidays. Agreed. But uh, Starry Eyes, uh, what I liked about it was that it has this kind of, especially before it kind of escalates, it has this kind of very minimal, vaguely art house indie feel that you generally associate with films that are way less violent. Right. I think. Um, but also they're very handy at when something really needs to grime up and go into and go to like really dark places. And 
even in a film this size, I think that those both those sensibilities are still riding really high in the saddle. I think that they've put their own mark on something. You can still tell it's one of theirs. Okay. Which I think shifting upwards so much into something of this size off the back of Starry Eyes, it wasn't a guarantee that that would happen. And I think that they've got that very right. I think that I can understand the elements of it that bother people, but I really quite enjoyed it. Now, I believe, Mitch, that Mary Lambert's Pet Cemetery is a uh, Shockwave's 100 film. It is. My intention is to watch that for next week. Well, I think you should watch it with me, if possible, because I've got it in lovely 4K UHD. Ooh, okay. Yeah, make a wee night of it. Sounds good. Cuddle up. (laughs) Just like old times. I'm well into that. (laughs) So, outside of Shockwave stuff, I do have one more. I went onto Amazon Prime this week. Right. And, in fact, just this morning, I watched Eli Roth's The House with a Clock in Its Walls. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Eli Roth does kids' films. Yeah, Eli Roth kind of uh, going into that. I think that a kind of fantasy horror that I would say would be kind of pitched at older children. So it's not like it's not like a, a kid's film. It's not like Postman Pat. No, it's like it goes to it's quite dark, I think, um, quite a lot of the time. But I, yeah, I would say that this is kind of pitched probably around about kind of 12-ish. Okay. Um, so I checked it out because I was curious to see how he handled something like this. What you have here is a kid whose uh, parents have both died, and he goes to live with his uncle, who's played by Jack Black, who is doing fine here. Um, <laughs> I've always had a bit uh, of a problem with Jack Black. He's made a couple of interesting role choices in the last couple of years, or the last few years, but yeah, he's he's okay here. I think that it's probably not as good as a, a performance as he puts in in either Goosebumps or Bernie, which are the two that I would gravitate towards for okay. top Jack Black picks. But it's pretty interesting. And uh, he, he kind of like cuts about in this huge house that is full of clocks. Uh, with his neighbour and friend who's played by Kate Blanchett. That's pretty much all you need to know, um, apart from the fact that basically in the night there is this one clock that he doesn't know where it is in the house. It's been left by its previous owner. The story around it is very kind of uh, mysterious. Okay. It unravels as it goes. This is all right. <laughs> um, okay. I think like visually it's pretty cool. It's an Amblin film and it's got an 80s Amblin feel about it. Um, the visuals and things. But I think that the story doesn't really match it. I think that um, it kind of goes where it needs to go in a fairly workmanlike kind of way. But performance-wise, it's okay. Like I say, the look and feel of it are pretty good. What I think is interesting is that even when... Because obviously this is a huge departure for Eli Roth. Yeah, and I think um, this is based on a book. Yeah, a book came out in 1973. Right. And yeah, like I say, I think he's an interesting choice for this project. But what I think is strange is that... See, the things that we talk about um, or when we've talked about Eli Roth previously on the show, we've spoken about things like The Green Inferno, where we think that something that he kind of frequently gets wrong is this inability to balance tone. Like right. when something's dark or something's supposed to be kind of mysterious or uh, dark or threatening, they can't balance it with this weird use of humor, kind of toilet humor quite a bit at the time. Yeah, it's total dude bro douchebag humor. Weirdly, there's kind of like very small elements of that still bleed into things like this. Really? Hi. And I kind of like... Um, I, when it happened, um, and it's it's a toilet humour moment, and I was like, Jesus, it's so weird that the same criticisms you level of I am as a horror director, I kind of assumed that they wouldn't lift straight into this, but they did. Oh. Um, I wouldn't say don't check it out, because performance-wise, it's really quite interesting. Jack Black's fine, Kate Blanchett's good. Kyle MacLachlan is kind of the central villain in it, and he's superb. But yeah, that's uh, that's on Amazon Prime, The House of the Clock and its Walls. And uh, I would say, yeah, if anything that I've said here has kind of piqued your curiosity, go and give it a look. But I personally wouldn't race back to it. Okay, that's that's absolutely fine. Uh, it was one that I certainly was interested in seeing. I was keen to see how Eli Roth would handle material that was maybe more family-friendly and a little more mainstream than stuff that he's done in the past. I'll take a wee look at that. 
maybe. Uh, it's 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 a relatively new arrival on Amazon Prime, I think. So yeah, it is there if you want to take if you want to take a look. Sweet. Okay. So I do have one more. Do 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 do. Mitch, what's the Shockwaves one hundred? He sure does. I got one more in this week. In fact, I watched it on the road home last night. I watched Slumber Party Massacre. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Editating people on the bus. <laughs> I had headphones and I'm not a monster. Oh, right, okay. um, although, once again, I did have to angle, make sure I was angling my phone away from as many people as possible, given the <laughs> fact that there is nudity in this film after about 30 seconds. <laughs> I really didn't like this at all. Oh, yeah, it did absolutely nothing for me. Um, I thought performance-wise, really shaky. Characters really badly sketched. Deaths were kind of lame. I found the music really annoying. There was like a, a stupid "we should split up" moment. But I found every, pretty much everything about it really, really maddening. It's also got potentially um, one of the most infuriating performances I've ever seen in a film. <laughs> Would you care to expand? Certainly. Um, so there's a character Val, right? Yeah, in it, who's who's you know the kind of like the new girl, her sister. Okay, <laughs> uh, Courtney. Li- li- like every second she was on screen, test tested my resolve not to reach into the screen and strangle her. <laughs> yeah, I really flat out absolutely detested this. It might be at the bottom of the shockwave films that I've watched so far. I absolutely couldn't stand it. Oh, really? Yep, hated Fucking it. Hell. <laughs> so not ru- <laughs> so not rushing back then. That is a way of putting it, Andy. Okay, that's absolutely that's absolutely fine. So that's now leapfrogged Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. An asylum, yeah. Oh, of course, uh, an asylum, yeah. Yeah, I would say that um, uh, Slumber Party Massacre has run away with it as my least favourite so far. Wow. Okay, well, that's that's absolutely fine. You can't win them all, Mitch. <laughs> this is it, exactly. If I was just coming on here saying that I loved everything, what would be the point? Absolutely, that's right. <laughs> Moving swiftly on, then. What have they been saying? It's feedback time, and they've been saying a lot this week. Oh, yes. Um, A lot of it, unsurprisingly, centering on the subject matter of episode 48, namely Dead Silence. Big thank (laughs) you once again to Louise Blaine coming on, joining us for that one. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I had a great time. And I think it's an appropriate way to start, to jump onto Facebook very briefly and just say that as we announced this, um, she was not without her uh, supporters. Very much so. There was a lot of people uh, firmly in the corner of Dead Silence. Yeah, I mean, on Facebook, straight off the announcement, we had Jen Dale saying, great film. Mitch Harrod just said, amazing. And um, uh, Chloe Ricks, new person alert, by the way. Oh. Um, simply saying, what a film. Uh. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I think, that <laughs> might, I think that might be a stretch. But um, it was cool to see instantly that people, there's obviously this kind of, like, sleeping majority of people who are really into Dead Silence, which I thought was kind of cool. That doesn't surprise me. Actually, it doesn't surprise me at all. No, it does feel like the kind of film that might lend itself to a cult following. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, some Dead Silence stuff. You got anything? I do, yeah. Uh, kicking it off, let's get into the nitty gritty here. Let's get deep medical information on the go here. Oh, yes, Dr. Lauren. It's Dr. Lauren McIntyre at Nodding Goth on Twitter getting in touch to say, I'd love to know what embalming technique Ella used on Bob Gunton's character. That level of preservation plus retained corpse pliability slash acute motor function would surely give Gunter von Hagen's a run for his money. Imagine what <laughs> body worlds could do with that. Plus, they'd only need to be operated by a sixth former with a rudimentary understanding of broom handles. So cheap. <laughs> I'm really glad that she's back doing this, especially oh, yeah. this week, though, um, given that I believe her area of expertise is dead things. Oh, very much so. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, thanks a lot for that, Lauren. Uh, another one here, another new person, actually. Uh, Big Film Quiz at Big Film Quiz on Twitter. Juan's Best. 
<laughs> Fuck Best off. viewed in black and white. So I uh, simply retweeted that with the word controversial attached to it. And uh, they expanded. said, one slash one nailed the tone. The production d- design is ace. It's silly with some genuine fun and scary moments. So it is fun. And I suppose that the thing that I've never understood or kind of uh, managed to conclude about Dead Silence is whether or not that's intentional. I, I'm inclined to agree that I actually think it is a lot of fun, but I wouldn't say it's James Wan's best film. I think that that feels like a reach. I th- probably my James, my favorite James Wan film was probably still Saw. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Like. I, I, yeah. You know how I feel about the Saw franchise. Only too well, thanks. <laughs> no more I did of those, watch please. them all recently, if you recall. <laughs> Lest we forget. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's pretty much all I've got on Dead Silence. You got anything else? I've got quite a bit on Dead Silence, actually. Um, Back on. Scared Sheetless. Caitlin getting in touch to say, really interesting episode. I never knew about the troubled production of the film. For me, it was the film that made me give up on one entirely after not seeing much in Saw, Insidious, and the rest. Watched this one much later, then figured one really isn't for me. Interesting. Yeah, again, can't win them all. Yeah, or indeed any of them if you're James Wan <laughs> trying to win Caitlin over. <laughs> no, no, not a chance in hell. Uh, that's interesting, that's interesting. It's also interesting that this is the one that kind of made her think, no, no more. <laughs> the one? Ah, well done. <laughs> uh, anything else on that before we move on? Salted Popcorn, at Salted Popcorn on Twitter, getting in touch to say, another fun episode from the at Strong Violent PC, joined this time by Shiny Demon, that's Louise, although Andy is missing a trick by not reminding people that Spookies is a film that exists. Someone pick it one day and you can all thank me later. So, uh... Spookies yeah. is a film that exists, and <laughs> Just uh, so you know. any future guests want to bring it on, that would be gratefully received, and that's about uh, it, yeah. I love the fact that he said Andy is missing a trick by not reminding people that Spookies is a film. He knew fine that I didn't know that Spookies was a film. You never know much, you, you, you love to surprise people. That's true, that, I suppose so, but no, I think it was fair to, uh, to put that on you. <laughs> fine. Uh, anything else before we move on? Not on Dead Silence, no. Cool. I've got something on Devil's Advocate. A couple of things in Devil's Advocate, actually. Yeah, me too. Dennis Extrawatherin. Hey, Dennis. Hi, That's Dennis. Dennis Beans on Twitter. Um, I really like this, actually. He said, this was the strongest one yet that genuinely made me want to go and rewatch the film, especially to see the last 20 minutes. So that's cool feedback, and I hope that since then he has done. And, uh, yeah, I wonder how that held up on a second watch. <laughs> and one more on Devil's Advocate um, from Darren Gaskell. Ah, oh, of course. Devil's Advocate is a movie which I always thought I'd avoid because it runs for several days, but I usually ended up staying with the whole thing whenever I surfed into it on ITV2. Do I like it? I genuinely don't know. Um, It goes so big so much of the time that it's wearying. Granted, Al Pacino's (laughs) great and it's effectively nasty in places, but I mean, it really does run forever. Did the editor (laughs) suddenly wander off? Also, this is the film where they suggest you get bored of being in bed with Charlize Theron. I'm just saying, if it were me, I'd be fine. I'm inclined to agree with that last comment. Uh, What was your thing on Devil's Advocate? Uh, as it turns out, it was exactly what you've just read, so uh, it means I'm an asshole, and we can move on to other things, uh, such as some miscellany. Okay, cool. Kim Morrison getting in touch to say, Happy 100th episode of Strong Violent PC to oh, the thanks. wonderful Andy and Mitch. Uh, giggling on the bus like a madwoman, as per usual. If you love horror films, please enrich your life and start listening to this podcast. High praise indeed. I'm not convinced that we are, what we are doing is enriching anyone's lives. But I'm glad that you have such a good time listening to us. And yeah, thank you. And we will strive to deliver the same levels of laughs for the next 100 episodes. Certainly hope so. I also have some miscellany. That's uh, from Tony, our old pal Tony, Rhubarb and Mince. <laughs> Tony's tip of the day. Re-listen to all your favourite strong, violent PC episodes at 0.5 speed for an entirely new experience. The guys sound pissed and it's equal parts hilarious and terrifying. <laughs> 
Also, we're probably pished. I mean, like some of the time. <laughs> it was a good chance in any given episode that we've had at least something to drink. Is it like it's quite possible that it sounds like that at regular speed as well? <laughs> I've got nothing else. Uh, no, well, I was gonna say I don't. You know what I mean by that? Oh, you do. It's Mitch's pitches. It is once again time for Mitch's pitches. So, for those who don't know, and by that I guess I mean anyone who hasn't listened to any one of the last thirty-seven minisodes. Yeah, well, no, uh, this this will be the thirty-seventh Mitch's pitch. Wow, it's pretty wow. interesting. And what the reason a long, I know strange that, trip it's been. Yeah, it has been a strange trip. The reason I know that is that I have finally updated our letterboxed. Wow, I said I would do that. Thank you for doing that. Once again, I'm shirking <laughs> my responsibility. You. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take ownership of that going forward. Right. I promise. Okay. I promise. Okay. So Mitch's Pitches is a feature on the show that is designed to exploit my ignorance for your entertainment. While we're recording, <laughs> Andy... Or, yeah, I suppose so. Um, <laughs> while we're recording, Andy sends a picture to my phone, which is um, a poster from a horror film from years gone by. He will have photoshopped out any identifying text, be it titles, taglines, etc. All that will be left will be the central image. I'll describe the image to the best of my ability and, where possible, give it both a title and a synopsis. We'll post the picture to all of our social media channels so you can check it out and play along as well. And, well, on that subject... <laughs> what have we got, son? Well, last week we had uh, Piranha Get In. I believe that's that's what I called it. What was the title again? It's Piranha Two: The Spawning, Mitch. Piranha Two: The Spawning. So that picture is on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You might want to take a minute to go and check that out before we start, because we have got quite a lot of pictures uh, <laughs> this week. So let's kick things off. Um, Cosmic Ray Girl, Andy, Jesus Christ, what an image! What's <laughs> <laughs> our reaction when you posted it on Twitter? Thank you. Uh, Bikini, uh, Bikini Brunch Hellfish Edition. Laura on Twitter at Bynon LV. Ah, hi, Laura. I can, hey, Laura. A can publicity stunt goes horribly wrong in George Eastman's Uccello del Morte. Sorry, best I can do. And then it followed it up immediately saying it was released by Avatar as Stage Fright 2 Angry Birds. <laughs> Gorehound at Zombie Slew okay. on Twitter. In the year 2035, a batch of Egyptian radioactive reptiles that were originally discarded in the sea for everyone's safety grow wings and terrorise beachgoers again in 1985's Flying Gecko Beach, Fade Away in Time. Very clever. Yes, love Very it. clever. And a great song. <laughs> yeah, a great song. A great, a great Echo Beach reference. I love that. That <laughs> is, um, that's, very, that's very good. Yeah, I like that. Um, We've got a couple from Tony this week, one on Twitter, one on Facebook, so I'll have one first here. Tony Rhubarb and Mince. It's obviously the 1994 animated classic Disney's The Fly-In Thing. Barracuda Matata, it means more bodies for the rest of your days. <laughs> okay. Panda, a prettiest dance on Twitter. Piranarama, don't go into the water or the beach or anywhere, really. It's all terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Mark the Davies on Instagram. Ah, Piranha 2. Mitch might actually get this one. Mark, come on. <laughs> Please, of Mark. Course I will. You've listened for long enough. Uh, he then went with uh, Angry Fish, tagline, the birds never stood a chance. Like it. Uh, Andy Mack, Teeth of the Sea 3, Evolution of Evil. <laughs> I did reply and say that um, I thought that he picked Teeth of the Sea 3 because it's very difficult to say. <laughs> <laughs> Just to get it right round Mitch in the middle of a recording. Yeah. Um, he also got in touch with um, a longer consideration. Um, a military plane carrying toxic waste crashes into the sea next to the tropical island of St. Pescado. 
As waste spills into the ocean, a piranha eats a drowned pilot, as well as a dead bird floating on the surface. It swings away and lays eggs as it mutates. The eggs hatch and emerge as mutated winged fish hungry for food. This happens just as the annual tourist event, Sand Dance by the Sea, commences on the island, where <laughs> Maria hopes to lose her virginity to her night school boyfriend, Frederick, while his father, General Booth, is out of town in military business. <laughs> Will the island survive? Does General Booth know more than he appears? Will our high school sweetheart survive? Find out in Flight of the Piranha. Right, I really like this. Yeah, pretty good. And finally, Tony Constantinou. Let's do this. When science major and amateur oceanographer Gareth Bagel tries to overcome his fear of busty women after a disastrous freshman year, he heads to the beach during spring break with his best friend Tommy Gobbo as his wingman. Sorry, who? Tommy Gobbo. Tony Gobble. Tommy Gobbo. <laughs> okay, sorry. Carry on. However, as Gareth and Tommy arrive, they quickly notice the water is starting to turn purple. Could it be something to do with the thousands of energy drink cans casually discarded into the sea? As he futilely tries to warn the randy teenage beachgoers of the dangers of contaminating the waters, beach laughter soon turns to beach slaughter as dozens of mutated malevolent fish ascend from the sea's depths and begin to savage the crowd. <laughs> now Gareth and Tommy must race against the clock to find local discredited marine evolution expert Professor Morris Clunt, <laughs> the only man capable of stopping these flying terrors in 1988's Barracudarmageddon, the mutation mutilation. They've given these monsters wings. Now the creatures will relentlessly turn the sands red, no bull. Remember the energy drink thing? Yeah, got it. Yeah. Um, that is your lot for this week. I'm going to give it to Gorehound on Twitter. Ah, Flying Gecko Beach, fade away in time. Fair play. I like that one a lot as well. 100%. Congratulations, Gorehound. You win nothing. Congratulations. Yeah, your prize uh, will be with you uh, sometime. Uh... Probably about now. There it is. There it yep, is. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Delivered by drone. So this week. Yeah. You ready? Feeling good? <laughs> uh, ask me again in like twenty seconds. Well, yep. Yeah, the the image is on its way, so the clock is ticking. Right. Oh my god. <laughs> it's kind of on brand for what we've been doing lately. Yeah. Yeah. We are once again in the realm of uh, creepy dolls. Uh, I'm going to address the elephant in the room. What's that? Uh, this doll really looks like Michael Jackson. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with that. I'm not going to incorporate that into the pitch, but I just want to get that out there. So, um, the uh, I think you're missing a ha- trick not incorporating that into the pitch, pitch <laughs> if I'm perfectly honest. Right. The background of this image is basically just kind of like a pale blue hue, kind of um, an outline, a silhouette of the... Um, the central focus of the image, which is a doll, specifically the kind of uh, head and shoulders of a doll wearing uh, something that's kind of red with a pink frilly neck and sleeves, or kind of cuffs. Mm -hmm. Uh, The doll has long brown hair, or black hair almost. Uh, Its eyes are missing. Uh, It's got (laughs) kind of a hole in its face where its nose should be, a very small mouth. Um, The bottom left quadrant of its face is exposed, so you can kind of see some skeleton. And in each of its hands, it is holding a single eye. Ball. A single eyeball, yes. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Um, Uh, You've hit all the key points there. Not much else to discuss. Yeah, it's a fairly simple image. Yep. You know what that means. I will once again need a moment. By the way, this is now my alarm clock. I think that you I think you're maybe not alone in that. Oh really? <laughs> it's surprisingly annoying <laughs> when it goes off at like half six in the morning. Oh really, it's annoying, is it? That's surprising. <laughs> Okay, do you need more time? Uh, no, I think I think I got it. Well, that's this is. Oh, never mind. It's automatically started playing again. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> right, fade that down, fade that down. I think Scree- I'm good to go. Screech. <laughs> right, okay. Give me just a sec. This is this is one of my more detailed efforts in a little while. Okay. Right, okay, okay. Proceed. When seven-year-old Holly Vincent's beloved dog Bootsy is hit by an 18-wheeler, her parents Orville and Francine are desperate for something to distract her and have just the idea. Orville is an assembly line operative for the Happy Bratz toy company and defies company policy by stealing her an early model of this year's must-have Christmas gift, a talking doll called Mandy who comes with 20 unique phrases, of which 16 are inexplicably about optometry. <laughs> Little does Orville know that due to a combination of a curse placed on the company by a vengeful gypsy and a manufacturing error, Mandy's, uh, Mandy's eyes keep rolling out and the demon doll will not rest until she replaces them with a pair of human eyes, and Holly's seem like they'd fit just fine. Will Orville discover the truth before it's too late? Will he save his daughter and lift the curse before Christmas, where the batch of defectively demonic dolls are distributed far and wide? Find out in 1984's Grimy Christmas Horror, Fix the Dolls with Eyes of Holly. (laughs) (laughs) There's some fine alliteration in there, Mitch, I've got to say. That's right, I've been spending too much time with Tony. Yeah, that's that's quite clear. Um, okay, put me out of my misery. What are we looking at here? If you were to hazard a guess at the real title, what would it be? Like Demon Dolls or something? Pretty close. It's just, quite simply, Dolls. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> like, 1987, directed by Stuart Gordon, of course, who directed Reanimator. I see, okay. I think, that, I think that by going with Fix the Dolls with Eyes of Holly and not just saying Dolls, this may have been a case of not being able to see the wood for the trees. <laughs> Yeah, but I genuinely, Mitch, I'm going to say I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed that you, um, I, I'm, I'm just going to say it, you pussied out of going down the Michael Jackson road. I'm not sorry about that. I think that would have been very, very funny. And uh, if anyone wants to speculate on what a Michael Jackson adjacent... Um, <laughs> Look, it's, it's, it's out there now. The public can do what they want with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what's Dolls about, need I ask? Now, you've got, two op- you've got a couple of options here, Mitch. You can either have the long version by Claudio Carvalho, who I think we've actually uh, read one of his out before, or we can go with Anonymous, which is considerably shorter. I quite like the mystery element of Anonymous. Okay. A group of travellers spend the night in the mansion of an elderly couple who are doll makers. However, one of the travellers' children discovers that the dolls the couple makes are actually humans that the couple has miniaturised and turned into tools for their evil plans. That was the short one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cla- <laughs> Claudio Carvalho's is quite detailed. <laughs> it, it would take the form of a, one of our regular episodes. <laughs> right, let's not go down that road. <laughs> so that concludes Mitch's Pitches for another week. This is where you come in. That image is everywhere. Look it up and get pitching. Yeah, and I, I love reading them. It makes my week. So please, please, please get on that and make me laugh. So before we take a look at what's going on for this Friday's episode, I want to touch on something really quickly um, that happened this week. Okay. We did talk in the Scream 4 episode, specifically you in the Scream 4 episode said that what you would really like to see was a supercut of all the times that Ghostface gets a do-in. Yeah, across the whole franchise, I've always been amazed at uh, how much damage Ghostface takes, yet that is never reflected in the face of or the bodies of the person under the mask, the killer. Yeah, um, and you said that, uh, yeah, because Ghostface takes so many hide-ins over the series, you would like to see a supercut of that set to the Benny Hill theme. Yeah, yeah, and I never imagined this would ever come to anything, Mitch, but I quite like being proven wrong. And yeah, Paddy Murphy proved me wrong. He delivered on the goods, and it is quite fucking funny, if I do say so myself. 
It is absolutely spectacular. Paddy Murphy of Celtic Badger Media uh, stepped in and this week furnished us with the Ghostface Benny Hill supercut of our dreams. We have plastered it all over all of our social media because we think that it is very, very funny and we think that you'll probably enjoy it too. A few people have been reacting to it already. However, when Paddy is not making hilarious Scream Supercut videos to indulge our stupid whims, uh, he's also a (laughs) filmmaker. And uh, he has got a new film on the way called The Perished. Yes. I think that this film sounds really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I know a little bit about it. uh, You want to talk about it a little? No, because he hasn't told me that I can. (laughs) That's as good a reason as any to not go too far into it then. Um... However, I think it's fair to say that it's kind of uh, it's going to be like a kind of socially engaged horror film tackling um, an issue that is kind of still very relevant, particularly in Ireland. Very, very much so. Yeah. So Dread Central have the uh, premiere of the trailer there. They do, and it's uh, up as of recording this moment. It's available. So if you jump on to Dread Central. Have a little search around. You should be able to find the trailer for Paddy's film, The Perished. I also posted the Dread Central article on our Facebook as well. So if you head there, you can take a look at it there as well. Cool. I wouldn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but big thank you, Paddy, for uh, yeah, kind of joining in the fun in a way that obviously took quite a lot of time and effort this week. So <laughs> go check out the trailer for The Perished. It looks really, really good. Yeah, thanks very much for doing that, Paddy. Uh, I laughed out loud on the bus. As did I. As um, did I. The minute, yeah. Almost the minute it started, in fact, I laugh snorted. It's Glasgow, you don't get any funny looks. No, that's very true. I yep, yeah, very judgment free. I appreciated that as I also burst out laughing on the train out to yours. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think that's been responsible for uh, quite a few public transport giggles so far. So go check that out because it is really, really funny. Moving very swiftly on then to uh, what's going on this week. Yeah. Now, uh, our guest this week, because we once again do have a guest, not to brag. Um, It's someone that we've been talking about getting on the show for a little while. Uh, We've made it work, and this week we are joined by um, a Canadian filmmaker who has made a bunch of great stuff. Most recently, the UK Festival Smash and Fright Fest Presents release Life Changer. Yes, Mr. Justin McConnell joins us. Justin McConnell joins us this week. Andy, tell us about this insane film that Justin has chosen. It's one that I'm not sure a lot of people will have seen. I'm going to I have not pre- even heard of it. Yeah, I'm just going to preface it with that little detail. Uh, it, it's not the easiest film to get your hands on, but it is available. It is out there. It is a wild old time, I think it's fair to say. That is, that's certainly true. Going all the way back to 1995, it's Norman Epstein's Ice Cream Man. Ice Cream Man, featuring an absolutely mind-boggling central performance from Clint Howard. And <laughs> not just Clint Howard. You've got like David Norton from An American Werewolf in London's in there. Jan Michael Vincent from Airwolf is in there. Uh, Sandal Bergman from Hell Comes to Frogtown's in there. It's such a weird cast and a, 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 a wild, crazy, why are you here performance from David Warner. <laughs> That's a fair assessment, for sure. And uh, as you say, Andy, it's not quite as accessible as uh, some of the other films that we've had on the show, but it is on YouTube. Oh, is it? Oh, right, uh, okay. Yeah. And if you're looking to go a little bit deeper, there is also, I believe, um, a fairly fancy Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray of this as well. Uh, there is. I know that because I own it. Yeah, and I know that because that was the version that we watched. <laughs> So, Life Changer director Justin McConnell joins us this week to discuss Ice Cream Man. Please do try and check the film out before you before you listen to this, because it's a wild time, and I think that it would be particularly helpful in this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't come into this one blind, please. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's gonna, it's not going to make a ton of sense if you don't. So, it's accessible. Uh, like I say, get out there, check it out before the show if you can. 
Also, before the show, why not get in touch with us? We love hearing from you, and there's loads of ways to do it. Facebook and Instagram, we are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC or email stronglanguagevioluntscenes at gmail.com. Yep, and there's loads of places you can listen to us. For example, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcast, iTunes, Acast, TuneIn, and, of course, our home, the lovely Podbean. And whichever one of those you're using, please do consider dropping us a wee rate, review, subscribe, and all those things. Makes a big difference. Uh, if you feel like doing that, if you feel like we're worth it, <laughs> then go for it. <laughs> and if you don't, well, please don't. <laughs> Uh, and I just want to say again, massive thanks to everyone for listening. We absolutely love you. And yeah, without you guys, there is no show. Absolutely. Well, there is, but there would be very little point. But it would so be thanks, uh... <laughs> The feedback section would be pretty short. Yeah, it would be pretty light. <laughs> so we're back Friday talking Ice Cream Man with Justin McConnell. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget that it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean. 